What's up, gang? We got a super awesome episode for you. We're talking to Dave Tate, the owner and CEO of Elite FTS. Um, I had an amazing experience in 2006 heading out to the Elite FTS compound to train and learn uh, from Dave and a whole bunch of other great coaches at one of their seminars. Um, he was super awesome at that point and you know, gave himself fully to everybody there, teaching everybody basically everything he, he, he knows. And one of Dave's, what you'll, what you'll hear Dave talk about is one of his core missions, uh, which is live, learn, pass on. And he's really given back so much to the strength and conditioning community and, and has done so much as a businessman that he's really the pinnacle of our industry uh, and a true strength entrepreneur who's turned his passion for strength and conditioning into an awesome profession uh, that covers both uh, you know, uh, years and years of powerlifting and a uh, world-class, world champion powerlifter to a world-class businessman. You can hear it in how he speaks, uh, how tuned he is into the business of Elite FTS and what he's doing there. Uh, he talks candidly about his past as a, as a terrible student with no interest in anything other than strength and conditioning and powerlifting, and, and all that turned around for him uh, one day when he, you know, when he found books on strength training and stuff, and he just became consumed with the science of strength, and, and that passion turned into a world-class powerlifting career and then into a world-class business surrounded around strength and conditioning. So uh, you're going to love this episode. Tons of awesome business takeaways for anybody that's, that's you know, in the industry that's running a business. Uh, he talks a little bit about his project, the Fixing Dave Tate Project, and, uh, and so he's working on some great training, how he's had to, you know, kind of change his mentality towards training after years of, uh, of competitive powerlifting. And uh, you don't want to miss this episode. So, again, thanks for listening to everybody. We really appreciate it. If, if you'd like to learn how to turn your passion into a real profession, go to strengthentrepreneurs.com and check out a two-day mentorship. You can come learn business systems, marketing, and sales. As always, this episode is brought to you by Varsity House Gym, a world leader in strength and conditioning. Dave Tate, everybody, here we go. Welcome to the business of strength powered by Varsity House Gym, the podcast for strength entrepreneurs. Welcome to the Business of Strength podcast. We are here with none other than legendary strength entrepreneur Dave Tate. Dave Tate is the founder and CEO of Elite FTS, one of the largest education and equipment companies in the world. Elite FTS has been educating and outfitting some of the strongest athletes in the world for over 20 years. Dave's journey started out as an elite powerlifter, and he was one of the original founding fathers of Westside Barbell, and his best total ever was 2,205 pounds, I believe, Dave. And correct me if I'm wrong. Only after serious injuries and having to retire from the sport did Dave turn his eyes on the business world, and today Dave runs a multi-million dollar fitness empire and continues to educate, motivate, and inspire millions around the world. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it, and we're excited to have some conversation with you today and talk about how you turned your profession, your passion, into a profession. Thank you. So, Dave, so one yep. of the things that you know we like to get to the bottom of is kind of the story, the background. Everybody who came comes through this podcast, and a lot of the people that I've met over the two decades in the fitness industry have this, you know, usually have a unique story, you know, where it's like, you know, I was training, I was an athlete, I was something. Tell everybody a little bit about how you got into powerlifting and what was the defining moment and where you decided that you were going to take the leap to start this business and how that all came about. Okay. Um, I guess you could say that I've been in the strength and conditioning business since I was 12. And that is, I was a snot-nosed kid, and, you know, the kid that got 
beat up on and learning disabled, you name it, special education classes, all that kind of stuff, which was leading to, you know, getting into trouble and all this other stuff. So long story short there, my dad put me into a, or hooked me up with a powerlifting gym at Finley, Ohio, called Finley Park Golf Club at the time. And I was 12, 13-ish. I did my first powerlifting meet when I was 13. And then from there, continued on with, you know, powerlifting, you know, all the way until 2005, I believe, was the last meet. But throughout all those years, you know, the strength and conditioning enabled me to, you know, kind of pull my shit together to build the confidence, become, you know, a better academic person, you know, a better person overall. And so at that time when I, I, I barely graduated from high school, so there's there's a few steps here in my education path. So the only school that would accept me was Tiffin University, which at the time was a business school. So I went there for one year, and half of that year I took classes I was supposed to take in high school, things such as algebra, biology, and people usually laugh when they hear that because right, right. the classes I took were called business, math, rock science. You know, I was on a, a path when I was in high school to just graduate. So, and then did a really shitty job with my grades on that path as well. So, once I was in a smaller classroom environment with a little bit more focus, you know, to be able to actually learn and I was able to not get D's and F's, you know, more the C's. C's and B's, and then the second part of that year was business courses, which were management, marketing, just one-on-one classes, mm -hmm. you know, um, accounting and so forth. And then my ego got a little big for my britches, and I said, fuck it, but I'm going to go to Bowling Green because there's no – basically everything I've ever done is because of powerlifting. There was no powerlifters in Tiffin. There was nowhere to fucking train. Yeah. So I wanted to go to Bowling Green because there were fucking people there that I knew would be able to train, and I knew people in Toledo to be able to train. So I transferred to Bowling Green and ended up flunking out in my first semester. Oh. Now, how old were you? Were, so, you so what were you, 19 at this time, Dave? 19, 20? Yeah, something okay. like that. So two years out of high school. Okay. And so I flunked out the first semester and had to take the second semester off. Came back home. And then when I was home during that time period, um, I pretty much gave up on the whole school thing because I was told my whole life that, you know, it wasn't, I'm not an academic, I'm a stupid kid. And, you know, it's trying to get things situated for me to work in one of the factories there in town, which I spent some time working at over the summers previous to be able to make that a more full-time thing. And so one of my coaches former wrestling coaches in the parking lot of the high school because I was going out there to kind of help the kids a little bit with the strength and conditioning for football. And in the parking lot, we started talking. And the one thing I did find at Bowling Green was it's called a library. I never found one. I never knew those existed, by the way. And um, <laughs> But in the library, I stumbled across everything that I shouldn't have read, you know, which was the National Strength and Conditioning Journal, International <laughs> Journal of Sport and Nutrition, yep. um, the Soviet Sports Review. So I still got like five or six notebooks of just photocopied shit that I pulled out of that and spent probably 20 hours a week just digesting and reading all that shit. 
and not reading anything in the classes that I was taking. <laughs> I was just consumed with this because at the time my fucking training wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And I was trying to find a way to get my total to go up. And I knew it was somewhere in this shit. So when I came home and I was in that parking lot, you know, coach asked me about training. So I started telling him all the shit that I was doing and all the stuff I learned. Then he asked me about school and this dialogue kind of went back and forth while I was avoiding him. And basically just pressed me and said, uh, no, I asked you how was school going. And I said, I flunked out. It's not my thing. You know, I'm looking to get a job out, you know, at Finley Industries or Sunbelt Brands. And he, he basically stopped me and he said, look, you're not stupid. You're just fucking lazy. <laughs> and then he used the that opportunity to circle back and say, listen to everything that you just told me that you learned about training. You have the ability to learn. You're just selective about it. Sure. And it's going to take you longer than it takes other people. And so when I was driving home, it was something about that one statement. That's what I tell people. This is a live, learn, pass on thing that I preach about and drill in everybody's mind. It's not bullshit, man, because yeah. one statement from the right person at the right time changes the whole trajectory of your life. You know, so that one sentence, I was driving home and I pulled over and broke down crying because I didn't know the fucking answer. <laughs> I did not know if I was lazy or stupid. And this is, you know, when you're a lifter and you're in the gym, the last thing you want to be fucking known for is lazy. Sure, of course. You know, I may not have all the best genetics in the world, but nobody fucking worked, you know, harder than I did. Nobody pushed the edge harder than I did. And I got the scars to prove it. So that really fucked with my head. And, um, so I went back and took summer courses and it took me a while, you know, it took me four or five years to get my GPA up to, to transfer. And I knew I had to transfer because I want, I, I still didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do with my life because everybody kept telling me this weight training stuff. It ain't, you know, you know, you can't make a career out of that. You can need, you know, study business, study this, study that. And all I'm thinking is, I got a 1.6 grade point average. It wasn't even that. It was like a 0.75. I flunked out. Only thing I'm concerned about is getting this fucker to 2.5 so I can leave this goddamn place. And um, so all I did was go to the bookstore and take classes that interest me. So I'd walk up and down the book aisles and look at the textbooks and say, well, fuck, that's only 50 pages. I'm taking that class. You know, or see something like criminal sexual behavior i'm like oh fuck that's got to be good and so i would take that class um i for, for four years i shit you not this is how i this was my syllabus <laughs> walking up and down the bookstore and then you know i was bouncing in a bar at the time and somebody asked me how many credit hours i had and i forgot what it was it was like 149 or something like that and they're like dude you only need like 160 to graduate and I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like two classes away from graduating. And he said, well, what's your degree? And I said, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't have so one. I have, like, my degree's how, in the bookstore. How, how can, yeah, like, how can I fucking graduate? And this, this, you think this is bullshit, but it's yeah. fucking totally true. I go to fucking uh, every college on campus, and they had the little syllabus yep. that you had to check off your classes to graduate. I get all of them and sit in the library with my girlfriend at the time, and we start checking off all the shit that I was taking to figure out where the, if I could graduate, where the fuck it would be at. <laughs> and I was one, one class away from graduating with a sociology degree. And I'm sitting there speaking to her like, 
what, what the what the fuck can I do with that? <laughs> and we're like, well, maybe a census taker. <laughs> you know, it's, oh we we have no no fucking clue. And then I said, well, what is the class? And she said, it's a foreign language. And I said, oh, geez. My problem there was I tried to take a foreign language at least four or five times. And I hate to make excuses, but with my learning disability or whatever you want to call it, that's not one class for me. That's tough. You got to learn how to spell the shit. You got to learn how to conjugate it. Then you got to learn how to speak it. It's like three different classes. And it's just something I was not able to do. I could not wrap my head around at least in that learning format, and I've never tried since, nor do I care, to learn. So I was fucked. So at that point, it's, I took one other class, got my grade point up to 2.5. And actually, at that point, I realized there was no way I was going to graduate there. So I transferred to Toledo. Oh, and um, when I went there, I met with a guidance counselor, which was the first time I ever did that. And... Um, she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a strength coach. I remember her saying, what's that? <laughs> and I mean, this, this is how far fast we're going. I mean, there was like not very many at the time. No, no. They, well, what, what year was this? How old are you, Dave? Exactly. Um, we're probably 18, like 21, maybe. Okay. And, and what, so what year did you graduate high school? 86. Oh, okay. So you're ten, about almost eight years older than Like 90. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, 1990s. Like, yeah, like, yeah, right around that right around that point in time. Perfect. Yeah, so that and, was kind of like a new thing for, you know, higher education to have, like, strength and conditioning, exercise science, kinesiology, stuff like that. Yeah, and exercise science was definitely a track because it was one we looked at was exercise physiology, exercise science. But that really didn't give what I thought would make you a good coach. Yeah. And then the coaching tracks really didn't have what I thought would make you good at the exercise science part. So we got together and created an independent study specializing in exercise science and nutrition. And so for the next two years, just pounded, you know, exercise physiology, you know, exercise science, all the stuff that goes around with that, you know, nutritional biochem, everything that goes around with that, and then drilled into, um, speech, public speaking, mm-hmm. communication courses, um, all the things that we put together for that specialization. And right about this time is when I hooked up more with Willie Simmons, mm-hmm. where I knew him from a kid. He would always help me out at meets, you know, just not not as a friend or even an associate, just, you know, the guy at a meet that would walk around and help, help me out, you know. Mm-hmm. I always knew that him and John Florio were two guys that would always – kind of helped me with training and so i was driving back and forth from west side while i was in toledo doing that but that was probably the first time that i had a track in my mind that i want to be a strength coach i'm definitely going to work in this industry i don't give a fuck what anybody says about there not being any position in the industry i'll figure something out and i really didn't care because powerlifting was my first priority so school and everything else is just secondary. Now, if people get this fucked up, you know, just because you put something as your first priority doesn't mean you can't have second, third, and fourth. I mean, I know lifters that, I, you know, for 20 years, you know, that powerlifting was their first priority, and then they're, you know, they're 40 years old and they're done, and they have nothing. Yeah. You know, it's 
you know, I was always smart enough to know that wasn't the right way to go, but I'm not going to say I had any direction. Right, right. And so through, through this time, I, while I was in college, I paid my way through college. So I worked in gyms or I worked in a gym as a manager for a couple of years during that time. I worked in a bars as a bouncer mm-hmm. um, and personal training kind of was, it was more of a fitness instructor. It wasn't really a paid personal training thing. I get out of college, graduate with that, realize after a uh, three-week internship, which was something I just walked out of, it was um, it was a school that hit a, had a hit training program, and I was very close-minded at the time. Even though I used that type of training in my off-season, yep. I just could not see how training somebody for sports that was conducive. And I didn't like the coach. And I'm like, you know what? This sucks. There's there's no way I want to do this. These kids suck. This sucks. <laughs> you know, I can't, you know, one coach with fucking 60 kids. How the fuck, you know, yeah. like all I'm ever going to do is write shit on a dry erase board. And at the very best, maybe help one kid here and there. And so I realized quick that this isn't what I wanted to do. And so that was the end of that. And then... I graduated and Louie wanted me to move to Columbus. My wife's parents were from Columbus. So I made the move, came to Westside and took me six months before I got a job. And the job that I got was in a corporate fitness center. And they wanted to hire me as a fitness instructor or I don't know what the rate was. It wasn't bad. It was, 14 bucks an hour or something like that. And I kind of countered back and told him I wanted minimum wage, but I wanted the potential to have higher commission on personal training and the ability to run personal training. If I could quadruple their personal training within the first year. Now coming in there before the interview, I knew that they only had $4,000 a year in personal training and the average, the average income per member was a quarter of a million dollars. So I kind of knew real quick that this is untapped just because people don't ask. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in a family business, so I grew up around sales and looking at opportunities and negotiating and stuff like that. That's great. It's so great I you had the insight to kind of do that, yeah. Yeah, so it, that led, I, I think I worked there for maybe six years, eight years, and had the personal training per year, like, three or four hundred thousand or something um from four thousand so it it became a a decent revenue stream it's just what happened to me there is that was my whole life i was waking up at five o'clock in the morning first client was at five thirty or six and you know i would train until or train clients until like seven thirty eight leave drive the west side train there for three hours come back and then work until 10 and that was like every day on Tuesday and Thursdays, it was straight through six in the morning till 10 at night. And this was for, you know, six years. Sure. Typical gym hours, early morning, late nights. Yeah. And we started talking about, you know, having a family. I got married throughout this whole process and I just couldn't, I, I didn't see how this was a possible future. If I was to have a kid, you know, how, how in the fuck can you be gone from six in the morning until 10 at night every day? And 
you know, you can't do that. And the other part was group training was not a thing. It didn't come into vogue. I mean, I tried at the time to put two people together and it's just, it didn't work. The clients didn't like it. It wasn't something that was an easy sell sure. because it was like a privilege. Personal training was, you know, here's my trainer. They would flaunt it, you know, yeah, sure, sure. it wasn't, it was, it was like, like I was a servant more than anything else. And when I would try to put, and I try to explain, look, you got a rest period, for sake, you know, I'm trying to, it just didn't work. It's just, I sucked at selling that, but I couldn't, I couldn't make any more money either. So I was tapped. I was tapped on time. I was tapped on money. And my clients saw, you know, something and they, they pulled me aside and said, look, you need to kind of figure out you know, start your own business. And at the time, my wife was training with me at Westside and Louie was selling odds and ends stuff. And I was doing some consulting with, it started with Louie, then Louie didn't want to do it. So he just said, you do it. And then, I, so I was doing some consulting. So I had a business set up through my wife for, you know, personal training and so forth. And before I left the Capital Club, there was maybe a year that overlapped with Elite FTS, maybe two years, where I, I dropped my status there to independent contractor because I didn't think it was fair to the club owner that I was spending two hours, you know, if I had clients cancel and I'm sitting there for two hours working on, you know, Elite FTS stuff sure. when I'm getting paid an hourly rate. So it, it, to me, it was just, it wasn't the right thing. And by me telling him that, actually opened a Pandora's box because it gave me access to a manager that teach me business. Hmm. So he helped me tremendously in yeah. regards to different business practices, communication, sales skills, books to read, oh, all that's amazing. that stuff. And, um, and it's just because I gave them the respect to not try to rip them off. Sure. Right. You know, sure. and they knew eventually I was going to leave, but it was, let's make this a transition thing and let's do it in the right way. Right, you did it professionally. And yeah. So Louie said something to my wife one night, like, you know, you guys ought to just sell my shit, which was, he was selling not just his video VHSs mm -hmm. at the time. He was selling like mana rays and um, weight releasers and, you know, this other stupid shit. Mm -hmm. And she, she hated her job. So she's like, all right, we'll, we'll do it. So we just started selling really small item stuff with an ad and powerlifting USA, which I think was left side warehouse or something. And that ad lasted like two issues and then flipped it to, and I mean, that was it. It just, a couple years after that, you know, I quit my job and did that full time, but it took six years of that before I was able to pay myself. Oh man. So it was living on my wife's other income because it was just, it was, there was no investor money. It was bootstrapping, you know, stealing pens from the bank, you know, just, you know, whatever she could do, you know, to be able to, because everything had to be reinvested back in inventory, you know, so there, it wasn't like I was selling, even if I did a, the consulting or the seminars, the seminars usually didn't make money. The consulting made a little bit of money, but that was, you know, the next books I was going to buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of a trying to condense 18 years of my life. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, it's in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> so, I mean, so like, 
you know, a couple questions I have here. So, I mean, it's amazing how, you know, one small moment in your life can have such tremendous influence. And you see that throughout, you know, history and throughout a lot of successful people have, you know, kind of like an aha moment or somebody, a conversation with someone or this like realization that, oh, man, like, like in your case, like, no, you're not stupid. You're just not passionate about that. And you don't really have any other interest other than really what you want to learn. And, you know, you just... If you if you start learning stuff that you really like to learn about, that you'll actually be good at it, and you know that kind of was the course. And then you know, fast forward a few years, you know, you're powerlifting, and and uh, you know, creating started creating and selling stuff online, and you know, kind of perfect storm, right place, right time, things like that, and and had this built-in community. How were you making sales, Dave? Like, where at the time when you first started selling stuff, were you were you selling at meets? Uh, you know, you said you had seminars and stuff, and you know, funny enough, you know, uh, I actually came to one of your elite seminars at the elite FTS headquarters in 2006. It was you, uh, Jim Wendler, I believe, Joe DeFranco, uh, uh, James Smith. It was. I met a young AJ Roberts there who was just getting started out there in, in, at that time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay. and, and it was an awesome experience. I actually yeah. have a picture of you and me, uh, you coaching me how to deadlift. It was a great experience. And so was that kind of like by that point, you had already been going for a few years. So how, how did you get the initial sales going? What kind of bootstrapping were you doing? Were you literally like calling your, you know, powerlifting buddies and stuff like that? Initial sales were we had ads in uh, Powerlifting USA. Okay. So the initial sales for that, but the, I was more focused really on the consulting side okay. and the seminar side at the very beginning because we didn't see the product sales as being something that was going to be a viable thing. Mm-hmm. So we had that, then we had a banner, it's called a banner webpage. So it's just a webpage with a price list, and that was really it. Yep. Um, it was it was just a piece of shit. I was answering questions for uh, Jason Brunell at deepswater.com. Because mm-hmm. when I first got online, you know, it's my brother gave me a computer. He's IT tech, you know, guy. And so he built a computer for me. And I get online, of course, the first thing I'm searching is powerlifting, and I find this Deepswater page. And he's doing his best to try to answer what we were doing at Westside. But it was it was a, a bit off the mark. Not a lot. I mean, if I give Jason a ton of credit, mm-hmm. you know, but it was it was enough that, ah, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding going on with what we're actually doing. So I emailed him and he said, you know, cool, you do the, you can, you can answer the questions on it. So I started doing that and they're still out there somewhere. But that led to a seminar in South Carolina, which led to me meeting somebody that we were driving to dinner, and he said, you ever thought about having a website? And I'm like, yeah, I, I have one. And he said, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, then he explained that he, he had a buddy that wanted to start an e-commerce website business to where he would build carts, and then he would sell the carts and, you know, make his money off of that. He needed somebody that would be, you know, a prototype. And I said, I don't want a fucking shopping cart. What I really would like is a Q&A type forum, but not a forum. Because forums suck. Yeah. I want something where it's a question and an answer, period. No follow-up. Just bam, bam, die. And um, then, so that, that, that was the first iteration of basically EliteFitnessSystems.com at the time. Mm-hmm. It was a Q&A. You know, okay. so it was the Q&A that many people who have followed the company knew for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Q&A and the training logs were all on there. And then the store came from the Q&A because people were asking me, you know, where do you get bands? Where do you get, 
these Russian training manuals. Where do you get this? I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know. Stop that. I'm answering the same goddamn thing a hundred times. And then it, it, it's like, well, shit, I guess we should probably try to sell these things. Mm-hmm. And so then we made the connections to sell those things. And then that Q&A became the marketing for for that. Right. You know, yeah. the consulting, when I was doing that, that was, you know, I would do consulting for one coach. So I would ask that coach, you know, referrals. I would just work the referrals from that coach to another coach to another coach and kind of work that route. Dave, did you guys eventually make a conscious decision that you were going to say, Hey, like we're going to, we're going to just produce massive amounts of content here to really drive traffic to that e-commerce site. I mean, did, was that just something that happened organically or did you sit down and say, we're going to produce hundreds and thousands of articles and videos to make sure that, you know, people come to the Q and a, we build trust in our, you know, fan base, if you will. And, uh, and then as a result, they're going to start buying our products. Was that a decision that you guys had made? No, I, I never, I never even saw that as being what people call today as content marketing. Mm-hmm. I always saw it as the right thing to do. Right. I mean, uh-huh. most everything that I've learned in the gym, you know, everything I've learned in the gyms carries over life, everything, you know, and, you know, I, I owe people like Louis Simmons and all these other people that have helped me for what they gave me. So how, how best can I give back what they gave me? You know, and that's through, you know, the education, but not giving people fucking programs because they're not going to learn from that. Mm-hmm. You got to give them the tools to be able to learn their own training philosophy and build their own website, build their own 531, build their own cube, build their own whatever the fuck you want to call it. But it's a learning process of doing that. So as I was putting that content out and answering the Q&As and all the other kind of stuff, I would find other people who shared that same thought, that same philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people who wanted, that felt like they needed to give back to that. And that's where some of those first Q&A members came from. And then it was just, you know, the number of Q&As that were being answered just start going from, you know, 20 a week, 100 a week, 200 a week, 300 a week. You know, there's like a million fucking pages on the site now. And it just was a natural progression that education is going to be a big part of what we do because I think a big part of business that people miss is you need to know what business you're really in. And elite FTS is in the business of making strong people stronger. It's very simple. You know, our target market are people who would place training as one of their top four priorities. Yep. If it's under that, I really don't care about them. I do, but they're being taken care of by people like you. They're your clients. You know, so I don't really care about marketing to your clients. If they need wrist wraps, you'll tell them, go buy from Elite FTS. Right. I don't care about that. I don't want to put out articles, you know, the five exercises to build your fucking biceps. You know, there's there's a hundred other pieces yeah. of shit publication. Sure. You know, I didn't want to be that. The industry's I've been, I've been, be, Yeah. I've been loving your hashtags too. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> rants have been, uh, have been top notch. Yeah. 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 Those are awesome. And, um, so that's the content kind of grew organically because of that. And now I probably struggle more with where, where should we do, you know, where should the cat be? Because, it is our second biggest expense after cost of goods sold, and we really don't generate any revenue from it. 
Right. From so, the, from the so, man, production love, of content, Dave? From the production? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love to triple down on it, but at what point in time, you know, does the traffic justify, you know, the expense. And what about now? What about the what about like the old times? Like the, like so. So one of the things I noticed because you know when we were prepping for this podcast, and I've been following you for well over a decade, and like I said, since but probably hardcore since like 2005. You know, our whole gym here. I got an entire side of our gym here with six elite FTS racks, platforms, the whole nine, right? So you know, we, you know, we we've definitely you know big big fans of yours and what you've done, and so many people have launched their careers from being part of your website, being part of the Q&A or the training blogs and whatnot. So you, but you've always produced really high quality content, whether it was like simple bench videos and such from back in the day. And just the organization I always thought on the website was always really good. So like, how did that, who was doing that back then? And like, were you making that stuff like with just like basic cameras or did you always source out to like video production companies and stuff like that? Low budget, you know, mid budget. No, no, we always, we always did it. We buy whatever camera we had. Um, I mean, we, we, I knew from an early time because of, you know, you got to respect people's trademarks. So, you know, we would make, I'm sure we had our own cameras for pictures, but it was just cheap cameras. I mean, they're just cheap videos. You know, it was the content that mattered. And I knew the content matters most. And then they got to be able to hear it. So it can look like shit. And a lot of those earlier videos, they're, the reason they're black and white is because they look like shit. Right, they're grainy. And if I made them black and white, it actually made them look better, you know, because it was fucking terrible. The quality. <laughs> Genius. But, you know, so, and you just play around like, fuck, yeah. okay, here we go. And we just flip it up. Yep. And, but that was all, you know, I don't think we've ever ever had a production company or anything like that you know if i have and i have media team now yeah. you know where the i have a full-time video guy now but back then you know with the the archive elite fts youtube page that was just all like flip cameras and you know whatever cheap shit you know and then throw one to Wendler. i had one and just shoot you know yeah. people ask a lot of questions shoot you know and we didn't know, you know, it was a lot of it. A lot of the, the training logs were a good thing at the time because we didn't know what people were going to like and not like, but who gives a fuck if you just threw it in a training fuck? It wasn't like it was an article. You know, the articles have always been, you know, they get 10, 15, 20, 40 times the traffic the training log does. Right. So we had to be careful and selective on what we put out as an article because that's kind of more of a main face of the company. But, Man, we fucked around on the logs, and we still do. Right. And um, I mean, we fucked around there and experimented to be able to see what the people like, and then if they do like it, are they our people? Mm-hmm. Because who gives a shit if forty thousand people like this post if they're fucking sixteen-year-old kids and they're not our demographic? Right, right, right. You know, I'd rather have five hundred who are our demographic, oh. and. So, and they're going to use the content, and and they're the right people, and they're probably going to be the people that are going to buy the equipment, buy all this, yeah. and be ready, you know, in a sense, be your perfect talk about yeah. ideal yeah, client. Sales all the time. Yeah. You're, you're better off with five, with five of your ideal clients than fifty people that are a pain in the neck. Yeah, exactly. And it's with our columnists and you know the athletes and the coaches we have. All I've ever told them is write about what you're passionate about. Write about what you're learning right now. 
because it's going to do two things. It's going to bring out better content mm-hmm. and it's going to reinforce in you what you're trying to learn that's new. You know, so if you decide you want to brush up on your biomechanics and you start going back to the old textbooks and all that stuff, you're going to start thinking, fuck, I didn't think about that with the leg press or whatever the fuck it is. You know, the thing you write about it, you just, it's like you download that in your brain yeah. and it's going to be downloaded for a lot longer period of time than if you just thought it. And then the next day you're like, God damn, what was that I was thinking about? It was a really good idea. I can't remember now. Yeah, and it comes off um, very authentic and personal, too. So when people's writing about, hey, this is what I'm doing right now. This is what I'm into. So people connect with that better. Yeah. And I'm fortunate as well because the way that the branding's been and the way everything was kind of structured, if, if we start to drift off path, there's enough of you guys out there that have been around for a decade that will send me a message or an email and say, hey, look, this is fucked up. You know, you know because I get called out. Mm-hmm. And... um and I love it because if it's somebody that's been following the site and they really think it's going sideways, I want to fucking know because sure. I can't see every page on there. You know, there's a ton of fucking pages. And um, and I've been fortunate to have that since day one. So now, now obviously, you know, the when the powerlifting ended, was that really the time in which you kind of turned it into high gear when you when you hung up you know the platform in a sense and and retired from powerlifting did that spark like a real in a sense business fire in you that you're like hey let's i'm gonna double down on myself and take this to a whole nother level um a little bit um i mean even when i was powerlifting and when i stopped training clients and was making no money i mean most of the sales were through the phone Mm-hmm. And I get like two calls a day. So I had, I'm at home all fucking day. You know, so I said I read a thousand fucking books. You know, most of them textbooks and all the other stuff. So I was putting all the information in there, you know, beforehand. But when I retired, it did open up more time. Sure. There's no doubt about that because I didn't have to go into Columbus four days a week for four or five hours at a shot. And it was about the same time that Wendler retired. I think he retired a year before I did, mm-hmm. um, which opened up both of us being in the office really full time, as in before we get in there around noon. Mm-hmm. So we may have doubled down on it, but we really didn't know we did. <laughs> you know, we just had more time to do shit, yeah. you know, and more time to fuck off and more time to, you know, try different things. And, but, you know, the, the, when I started to change my mindset was, you know, hiring Jim was one thing and, but and it was, it was a great move and it was a move that, you know, paid out 10 times in return. And, but I never, this is going to sound fucked up, but I never really saw him as an employee. I never really felt that he was going to be there forever because it's just not Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew that after like the first couple months, you know, so I always felt like, God damn, when's he going to leave? You know, it's, it was yeah. I, it was a weird thing, and I probably saw him more as a friend than I did an employee. Sure. So it was it was weird as far as trying to double down from the business standpoint. He definitely kept me grounded, you know, with a lot of different ideas. And I remember when I said, "Look, we need to really lay down what the company values are and grow." 
you know, the first iteration of that, he read it and he said, are you willing to live with that? That's well, what do you mean? He says, well, if you're going to ever build integrity, you're going to have to live by these, given any situation, any person, any time. And I said, oh, yeah, I guess that will be, this will become our new uh, guideline, yeah. you know, on how we're going to make decisions. And um, so we, you know, we kind of stuck by that. But as we grew, we both, we both kind of grew in our skill sets as well. But when I started bringing on other people, when I'm trying to bring, when I started hiring other people, it started to hit. I started to feel very responsible, you know, like, holy shit, you know, this person now needs this income, you know, right. to be able to pay their bills. Relying on you. Where sure. Jim was like, yeah, yeah, where Jim was like, oh, fuck it, he'll go live in a train car. He don't give a fuck. You know, so I never had that, even though he had a house and everything, yeah, it just yeah. never fucking registered with me the same way. Sure. And, um, where with the other ones, it's like, holy fuck, you know, we have to make sure that we're on point. But we've, we've never had a year that we've grown double digits. You know, it's always been single digit growth. I've never had a year where things have doubled. You know, I've never had this rapid growth. And, you know, I've been told it's because I haven't taken big enough risks. And I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind. I've almost tanked the business twice a year, every year since I've been in business. Um, <laughs> I think it's just, you know, I, I can't really explain why. I really don't give a fuck because you can't predict the future. You can't change the past. You know, you can only kind of work with what you're doing now. Um, so the employees are the reasons why I started to get more serious about my education and business and studying finance and studying sure. things that are were uncomfortable. You know, uh, things like marketing, branding, delivery, supply chain, all those type of things. They're, I don't want to say they're fun to learn, but they, they, they're, they're a lot more fun than fucking finance stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I feel very similar. I mean, when Dan and I opened up our first, when I opened up my first gym, it was me in a garage. And then me and Dan opened up our second gym. And it was me, Dan, our, our GM, Trevor, who's on right now with us, and another coach. And it was like, you know, we had all day to dick around and do nothing. And then we, like, we trained some – we only trained athletes. So we'd, we'd go in the gym around 11. We'd work out for three hours. And then, and, you know, and then we'd, we'd shoot the shit. We'd go get coffee and lunch. And then we'd come back and train kids from, like, 2.30 to 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, at 10 p.m. And then, you know, and it wasn't a lot of worries. But now, you know, you got a ton of employees, a lot of responsibilities – and I think like what you talked about, like setting your vision, setting your core values becomes very important. And all of a sudden when you put that out there and you say, you know, hey, we're going to live a certain way. And well, now you have to. Right. Because now, now you're a leader. Now people are looking to you for for guidance and leadership. So it becomes it like you. A, yeah, you take yeah. it with you. I mean, I remember when we first sat down, I think it was like when we moved, we, we just we moved four years ago to our current space now. You're like, hey, we got to put our core values on the wall, and I'm like, what the fuck are our core values? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and what you, does that even mean? Yeah, and and you write, and when you yeah, write yeah. them down and you put them on the wall, it's like, you know, it, they become real, and you really truly end up hiring and firing people based upon those set values. Yes, you do, and your interview questions, everything you do becomes that. Yeah. And the thing with core values is, I help a lot of people in regards to try to regurgitate that. Everybody knows what their core values are, and for the best part, they're kind of living by them. Right. And one of the one of the tools that I have people do is to go through and write down the ten people who four book characters, cartoon characters, I don't give a shit. Ten people that have influenced them in a positive way or created some type of trajectory change in their life. 
and then they can write those down and then why? And then they write down whatever they said or whatever the reason was. And then if you go and you, you know, search the internet for a list of 100 core values, you can assign a core value to each one of those people. And you'll see real crisp. Those are the things that you value in your life. You know, and anything that's in violation of those piss you off. You know, if the people don't have positive influence, they can write down 10 people that negatively influence them and why. And then they're going to know the negative values, which obviously your value would be the positive, you know, that would be the opposite of that. And once they have that, that's how I did ours. You know, that's how I did mine. And that became, you know, what I transferred to Elite SDS. Then as the company grew, I started to think more instead of me, I started thinking more we. You know, it's, I got a handful of employees that have been here for over 10 years. So it's incorporating all theirs as well. But I think that's a vital component when it comes to not only, I think it's a vital component to every aspect of business from leadership to branding, to finance, to management, to delivery, to sales, to marketing, every business track that plays a role. You really can't build any of those tracks if you don't have that guideline set in place. Yeah, I think that's critical. I mean, like having, you know, in a sense, your mission statement, your ethos, and, and some of those things to follow along with, it, it gives, like you said, it gives trajectory. It's like, you know, our, our core values here are hungry, humble, and committed to excellence. You know, we work with a lot of athletes. It's like, well, you know, we're looking for a certain type of person, a certain type of employee, people who are, you know, thirsty to better themselves. So it, it makes sense that you know, if you don't give people some type of guideline, then they start to stray off on their own and kind of wind up wandering around doing their own thing. And then obviously from a business standpoint, that usually winds up being very counterproductive in the long run. So, well, yeah, I mean, it, yes, it becomes a, it becomes a, <laughs> well, you, you, it becomes a virus that needs to be ejected. I mean, yeah, you, you either, exactly. You're either button heads and they become a virus in your, in your business and, 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 or, or they wind up, you know, stealing from your lying, cheating, whatever, all of the above. You know, if your core values aren't aligned, yeah. I've never seen a business where they've had, you know, let's call it owners, key management, you know, doing things in different directions. And the analogy our business coach gave to us at one point was like, you know, trying to row the boat, you know, trying to row the boat in two different directions. It just doesn't work. So, Dave. No, you can't. You can't. What was – so – what was the was there a point like where you guys had like a great year? I and mean, then you said you've only had like in terms of the actual business revenue, you know, single digit digit increases every year. But was there a point where you were like, you know, we did it? You know, uh, this is this is this is the future. This is what we're gonna do. We've kind of made it. This company is successful. You know, like was there a point? I don't know. Did, did you make a bunch of money one time and ball out, buy a nice house or anything like that? Like, would you like get all excited and have like, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, was there like a you know like a scene out of like you know Las Vegas, like out of the the, the Hangover or something? <laughs> I wish. I wish. Um, it's. Uh, no, I guess I'm still waiting for that. Okay. You know, it's just like every, you know, 2014 was a, was a good year. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's like, fuck, you know, this is this is definitely where we want to go. And then it's like, son of a bitch, you know. And our, I, I watch our cash very close. And it's like, well, now we finally have enough cash that we can actually create a real website. Mm-hmm. And not that the other one wasn't real, but mm-hmm. the other one was, you know, Pieced together with band aids, 
for a long period of time on somebody else's business plan that really didn't pan out, you know? So it, then we got to the point where like, okay, now we have all this cash. It took all this time and we're going to spend all of it. You know, <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, I could have went to Vegas and all this, but it's like, holy fuck, how much is this going to cost to do? And it was like, Jesus Christ. Uh, no, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, our internal, I mean, the one thing I've always done is I've always tried to put in enterprise systems as soon as we could afford to put in the enterprise systems. It's just enterprise systems are fucking expensive. Yeah. And they're very expensive to maintain. And to put them in, you know, the internal system, just from the accounting standpoint, to put that in when we did was a big fucking punch in the face. And then the year after that, there was, you know, some legal bullshit that we got involved in, which was another big fucking punch in the dick. And it's like, God damn, are we ever going to get out from uh, these? Now, can you explain that a little bit there yeah. for people that don't understand that, what that means the, with the uh, enterprise systems? Like, what what is that? Well, for instance, you might use, I don't know what the accounting stuff is today, but say we are using QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. And QuickBooks was fine, you know, but the problem is it only will handle so many orders. Mm. You know, it's once you get over, I think, 40,000 customers or whatever it was, well, now you have problems and you you got batch issues and mm -hmm. they're not downloading into the system and it's not communicating well. You can't get the data that you need to do. So you kind of uh, outgrew the small business platform. Sure. And then you got to go to the big boy platform. Well, the problem is the small business doesn't have a big boy expense or budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And then, you know, they come rolling in like, hey, no big fucking deal, quarter of a million dollars. It's like, what? For fucking, QuickBooks was like fifty nine ninety nine, dollars And um, now you're talking like a quarter million fucking dollars. Oh, my god. And then, then you start dealing with big business fuckheads. Yep. Which, you know, they do it, then they don't do it right. And then you got to hire somebody else to come fix it. And it's, you know, I, I hate that shit, you know, is I hate dealing with enterprise businesses. I really, really do because they don't have a concept of a small business budget or small business mind frame and a small business mind frame. Every fucking dollar matters, you know, no doubt. everything is either an expense or an investment I, or what I call a spend or an investment. Right, I can put a piece of equipment in my gym and say, say it's your gym. You're going to put a monolith in there. That's a that's a spend, all right. But I could probably sit there and say, you know what? It's an investment because it adjusts up and down, in and out. So now you can work five kids in the same time that you can run one, right? Because you can't change the J hooks on a rack. But then you guys come back and say, yeah, but my kids can't squat over two and a quarter, so it don't fucking matter if they're taking it out on one hook, you know? So. So it's like, okay, is this a spend or an investment? If spends are fine. You know, they're, they're, they're fine. I mean, that's, you put the shit in there that you like because you like it. But if all you do is spend, you're going to go out of business. Correct. You know, you, you got to make the investments. And that's where some of this enterprise shit comes in there. Because now you're putting in a system that's going to be basically unlimited. Sure. In what it can do. It allows you to and grow into it will the future. Last, yeah. Yes, for a long time. And we had to do the same thing with e-commerce which was another big kick in the dick and um which we're still trying to recover from that one yeah. but that was the just the shit awesome, that you deal though. with yeah the website well, now fantastic. I, mean, I mean the website looks great though i think it's fantastic yeah so what what, we're getting what ready to you gonna do it again you gonna do another launch well yeah it's a, we're we're, in, we're 
we're migrating to the, the same. We're, we're still going to use the same platform that we're using, but we're migrating to a version that's going to be responsive. And so we got another big thing that should be happening here within one for two hours. Anyhow, what was your question? Well, that that was what I was going to ask. Like, what what's the future for the website? It, you know, are you, you know, what what kind of is the content? You know, let's call it focus. And what do you guys got going on that's new? Uh, coming up in the next year, two years or so? It's always flexible because we have to deal with customer demand. And, but I'm, I'm resistant to trends. I don't, I don't like trends, which is kind of the opposite of a lot of other entrepreneurs. I hate that word, by the way, <laughs> business owners. Um, so to me, an entrepreneur just screams that you're unemployed. Um, but, or not, let's put it this way. If, if you're a business owner, I'm a business owner. I own a lead FTS. I'm going to sit there and tell you, I own a lead FTS because you're giving me the opportunity to brand. If I say I'm an entrepreneur, all I'm doing is giving the opportunity to tell, to brand me, not the fucking company that I'm running, which means that if all you're doing is branding you and not the company that you're running, you don't know a dick about branding. Yeah. You know, so it's that whole entrepreneur thing is stupid. But anyhow, um, I avoid the trends because it's just the peaks and the valleys are too fucked up. I don't want to have to deal with that. You know, I don't. It's and I've been around long enough that you kind of know: is this going to be, you know, a dipshit product? Is this product really a viable product? And kind of go from there. And sometimes, you know, there's there's a specialty bar that comes out. You know, for a fact, this fucking thing isn't going to last more than a year. But I'm going to buy it. You know, because it, it will be gone. You know, so, um, so for the future, we're we're upgrading the, the platform of the site, I and mean, we're always upgrading something. If it's, I mean, we moved. We November we moved into our own building. After 20 years, we finally have our own building. So we're still, you know, situating and putting, you know, shelving, you know, stacks and you know the things that we need to put in here. Yeah to be able to run even more efficiently, you know, only so much money I was comfortable borrowing because I <laughs> never had to borrow anything. Um, so I wanted to make it so it's an investment, you know, sure. something that's going to be able right. to, and not end up being this huge spend that's going to be a drain, you know, on cash. Um, then once, once we migrate, then we'll figure out what our real capacity capabilities are we have a lot of ideas but to me ideas don't mean a goddamn thing you know so we have a lot of ideas of what we'd like to do with content what we'd like to do with studio what we'd like to do you know with all this different stuff but until we migrate and actually see what the fuck we have to work with then all it is is a dream right you know so i'm big on i'm really really big on execution i do know where i would like the company to be in three years but to get there in three years we have to knock the right processes and systems out every month to get there it's not like it just happens right you know there's there's a lot of hard work that goes into this um and to be able to do that you have to be flexible to be able to say you know what is the end result of what we're trying to achieve with this piece of content and if we can't do it this way how else can we do it and you know kind of go that route so it's 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 really hard to say because you got to be responsive but at the same time you know kind of know where you want to go um i know that 
I don't want to go into manufacturing. You know, that's not the business that we're in. You know, it's, we have the, the space and the capabilities to be able to do that. But I know how to go, and I work with one of the best equipment manufacturers for equipment line, you know, in the country. I need, I know how to go to them and say, this is how it should be built for someone that's trained for 30 fucking years of life. These are the tweaks that we need to make. I don't know welding and manufacturing right. the way that they do. That's their expertise. Yeah. For me to grab, for me to grab a fucking welder and a blowtorch is fucking retarded. You know, for <laughs> me to sit there and, and be the CEO and say we need to hire people to come out here to build our own shit, and we're going to hire the best people. How am I going to fucking do that? No. You know, it's you know, it's then I, then I'm in the manufacturing business, not in the business of helping you know, you guys become better and stronger. So I find, and I don't think that's ever going to change. So that's rooted in our values. It's rooted in my DNA sure. to find the people who are the best at what they do and then work with them. Yes. It hurts my margin. Definitely hurts my margin. Yeah. And it, it, it puts a strain on customer service as well, but it's, but you're able to be a customer with, with the manufacturer. Like you have that ability to, you know, be a customer with the manuf- manufacturer and it allows you more time to work on still continuing to bring and the focus is still to live, learn, and pass on. And that's what drives people yeah. to want your products. I mean, you know, that's why our whole gym is, you know, outfitted with your gear. The one question I had for you, Dave, just to back up a little bit is to, you guys have so much going on and from the outside looking in and just going on your website and just seeing everything and, and all the products and you guys have sales for certain, like for certain days, St. Patty's Day, Christmas sales, whatever it may be. What kind of um, marketing calendar do you guys keep, and do you keep a, um, a a schedule for yourself daily, weekly, monthly, and does that you know coincide with what's happening with Elite FTS and and vice versa? Like, how do you guys stay organized? Um, well, marketing is with marketing. This you know, I, I a lot of people like to downgrade terms. You know, marketing is is more it's it's a marketing mix right 50 percent of our revenue comes from purchase orders you know so offline so i have marketing as far as how we market that end and then there's the e-commerce marketing as well and then you know all the other aspects of marketing i mean your basic four p's product place, product place price and promotion all those go into marketing so marketing is just not you know social media talking about whatever it's going to be. Right, so right. each each aspect of marketing has a different system that's associated with it. So with the e-commerce platform, we have a marketing calendar that's very, we would, we try to put the promotions, you know, two to three weeks. We'd love to go a month in advance, but everything that we do online is responsive to what our sales are doing and what our inventory and what our cash mm. flow is. So, a lot of times we have great sales for you guys because I'm clearing shit out of the warehouse. Because it's when you have inventory, yeah, sure and I got 400, 400, 400 bars in the warehouse, right? And now my cash goes below where I feel comfortable. I'm willing to get rid of those bars and what I paid for them just to exchange the bars on the shelf for the cash in the bank. Right. Mm-hmm. 
That okay, makes total so sense, it's sure. cash flow. It's balancing cash flow. So we may have a sale program, but then be like, oh, shit, our e-commerce sales for the month are 20% under last year and 10% under last month. We have to get this cash up. And then, well, what is the cash in the bank? So there's a series of questions that go into this. And it's like, fuck it. You know, how many bars do we have? You know, clear the fuck. Yeah. But we can't clear them too much that they go backwards because then you're not able to sell them. You know, it's a it's the average price that they typically sell at. So it's very responsive. It's mm-hmm. where you know I would I would love to be able to send out in our newsletter. These are the sales for next week, but sometimes they pivot. You know where you know we get a sales promotion that's been going really well right now that's been up for seven days and we're not going to pull it until it starts to dive. And then we already, we're going to flip it. And then we already know what we we're going to flip it to because it was supposed to happen two days ago. Right. But we have a sale that's not doing, you know, promotion that's not doing shit. You pivot off of it. Right. Will you guys meet and like have uh, an advisory board meeting like on a, on a daily, weekly, biweekly basis? Like how, who and how are you guys making those decisions? We will meet if we, we have the time i i hate meetings i i <laughs> fucking hate them they are the biggest waste of time any company has ever had fucking hate them so if we but for the sales calendar we do try to meet once a week but if it's something that could be managed just with our internal system we have a uh, operating system that controls our calendar so we can see what's going on if we can control it via email, you know, just from our computers, then we're going to take care of it that way. Because that five minutes to be able to pivot off of one sale with three people being able to respond back is only five minutes compared to if we got up and met, we would probably be waiting five minutes for everybody to get there. And right, right. then, you know, if we're in the meeting, you know, it, it always lasts longer because you other things get brought up and discussed. And it becomes, you know, somewhat functional, but 90% non-functional and a waste of time. And I'm the type of person that, you know, I don't want to waste time, you know. And for instance, one time I sat in a meeting with a group of people at a different company that we were sitting there discussing ideas. And there it was, it was a calendar-related project management type thing. And they're writing all this shit down on paper, and I'm just, I'm, I'm losing my fucking mind. And I stopped and said, you know, this is stupid. I said, why don't you have somebody with their laptop open just adding this shit into the project right now? Because they're writing it on a piece of paper. Then they're going to go back to their desk, fucking get a cup of coffee, forget about what the fuck was said, and then only add in. They're going to forget something. You know, why can't you just open it right now and just tap this shit in as we're discussing it? And they said, we never thought of that. (laughs) You're fucking kidding me. Yeah, so see, that's doing like twice as much work. Um, and I like to keep the work, you know, as, as tight and executed as I possibly can because ultimately from what I found, what employees want more than anything else outside of being recognized and all the other kind of crap is they want PTO. Yeah, I can put pool tables and fucking video games and all kinds of shit in here they don't give a fuck. 
they'd rather go home and fucking play with their kids or go home and swim or go home and play their own fucking video games. Why why would they want to sit here and watch fucking Netflix? You know, (laughs) I don't. Yeah, no. You know what I'm saying? Um, So if if there's a way to be able to, to allow them more PTO and, you know, they're going to do a lot better job, more flexibility. Sure, it makes a lot of That's sense. What everybody wants. Dave, can you break down a little bit the company structure in terms of obviously you're the CEO, visionary. Um, do you have an operations manager? Do you have you know a an accounting and slash marketing sales departments? You know, kind of are there heads to each of those? Do you meet with the heads? Kind of and and you know, kind of the little bit of the structure, and then a little bit about like your day to day and kind of what you do on you know a typical day at EFTS. There is a hierarchy, um, but it's very loosely structured. And I have tried to try a tight structured hierarchy mm-hmm. a couple times. And I think that all depends upon the size of the company. So at the very most, we might have 23 people working in here at one time. So I don't think we're large enough to have a tight hierarchy at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, we just tried and we just busted out of it not too long ago. So there is, there is me, which is the CEO, which my responsibility is to make sure the vision and the value that the company maintains in line and also to know what's going on from a bird's eye view of every aspect of the company. So I know, I know, I know our numbers. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. I know our fucking analytics. I know our conversion rate. I know our cash in the bank. I know our sales. I know all this down to the hour. You know, it's, I don't have OCD, but I do have access to every aspect of this on my phone, which is just, you know, clicking the log in a way to know exactly where everything is. Sure. So it's it's kind of like watching the machine, but I don't necessarily run the machine. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of the a lot of the jobs that are being done, I don't know how to do anymore. Um, but the basic shit I do. I just don't have the skill set to put together a video mm-hmm. or to edit an article and that kind of stuff. So then next to me in the same level, same hierarchy as my wife, who is the COO. She's been the chief operating officer since basically day one. Okay. So she's always handled more of the operations. I handled, you know, more of that media marketing type of part is mm-hmm. where my expertise really falls is figurehead media marketing, that kind of stuff. The inner office stuff, the accounting, all that, that's really her strength. Um, last year we had a CFO for, uh, probably 14, 16 months. And after that time period, we both agreed that it wasn't, we were a little bit too soon to the, to the date for that position. It was, um, I do think that if 50 employees, we, we definitely need a position like that, but at the size that we were, it was really too much of a spend mm-hmm. for the return and it you know three people get that top tier when you only have 15 or 20 underneath becomes a, a bit of a bottleneck sure so and this was a mutually agreed you know it, it was a friend of mine that was uh and he's still an advisor he was an advisor before and he's an advisor now so it was you know the best interest of the company so he kind of fell on the sword so i will always respect the hell out of him for that yeah. Um, and then underneath there, we have customer service. So Rhonda's in charge of the customer service department. And then there's sales. You got Matt 
in charge of sales, and there's a couple that are under him. There's a couple that are under Rhonda. Lori's in charge of the uh, warehouse. You know, so there's the team that's under the warehouse. And then there's um, the multimedia, where Sheena's the managing editor. But what I did with the multimedia, because it's creative, very creative, that doesn't work well with the hierarchy structure. Yeah. At one point, I had a senior editor in there, and it just didn't work well because it stifles people's ideas. So each each person in that creative department is basically their own boss. Mm-hmm. You know, so they don't they meet they have to meet with each other right. because videos go on articles. You know, and it's, it's just how the nature of the content works. And did they get kind of did they get kind of a sign? I mean, to cut you off, I'm sorry, Dave. But did they, did they get like did they get like assigned projects and stuff like that? And they they like they'll kind of work on it on their own. And I don't, like, I don't need to do that. Okay, they're, they're they're really good about coming up with it, and they're they're awesome. really good at finding the opportunities. Uh, for instance, the fixing day tape thing yeah. that wasn't planned. That wasn't planned at all. It was just, the, I mean, the backstory of that was Russell bought his gym through us. His whole basement was outfitted through us. And he sent me an email in December saying, you know, Merry Christmas or whatever. And thank you for the service and so forth. And I replied back and said, you know, thank you for the email. It was, you know, I appreciate it. And maybe I need to get a hold of you sometime after the first year and he said something like i got 10 minutes now and um so we started talking and this is the power of a thank you by the way i mean the guy just sent out a thank you message and i'm like sitting there maybe my shoulder hurt i don't know why in the fuck i said what i did but then we call and we talk and i'm like here's all my issues and there's a lot of them and i've had a few physical therapists already step away from the table so you know, if you're willing to kind of move forward with this, I need some help to see what we can end up doing. Then he, I hired him and he came out to work with me and no discussion of contact was ever made. You know, with my media team, was like the day before I said, hey, I got this guy coming in. I'm not going to be able to meet with you guys tomorrow. But, you know, here's my ideas on just normal shit. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, well, what's he coming out for? Like, why are we not filming this? <laughs> well, I suppose we probably can't. You know, I mean, get a hold of John and see. And then he was all for it. And, you know, it ended up being one of our most popular pieces of content That's that we awesome. put out. And it wasn't even, it was completely, you know, I'm proud of my media staff because yeah. they, they saw the opportunity and jumped on it. Where a lot of times when you run a company or you run a business, you can walk around your business and see opportunities everywhere. Yeah, and then you sure. uh, you actually get a little mad because it's like why why are my employees not jumping on this? Or you'll hear a conversation between one of your trainers and one of their athletes, yeah. and you just hear a referral screaming, oh my God. and you're thinking, what the fuck? Why is he not asking? You know, and it's you know, so it's the, I have a I have a really good team right now where I I have less of those moments. And more moments like that one yeah. where it was like, holy shit, you know, they were on point this time. That's fantastic. I mean, the the videos with John are fantastic, and the the content is unbelievable. Like, I mean, I followed him for a while as well. He's a phenomenal coach and a great tactician. Um, how's that going, by the way? And and what's that been like for you in terms of kind of having to? 
I don't know. You obviously, you know, you're an A-type guy. You've run your own life. You've trained a certain way. You you own one of the biggest equipment companies in the world, so you have everything you need at your fingertips. How has it been, kind of like giving yourself over to somebody else and letting them kind of, you know, pull the strings for a while? I'm okay with that. I mean, I've done it before. I did it with a guy. It was Berardi, Justin Harris, and Shelby, and mm-hmm. you know, other people. And but the training, I've never really. You know, I, with Meadows a little bit, I was doing some of his programming, but that was, you know, just to get away from some of the heavy pounding shit. And I really don't like bodybuilding training at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I don't think it's a secret to anybody, but I fucking hate it. Mm-hmm. It's like fucking curls and arm day. And just, I just, I don't get it. <laughs> I can do it if I have to, but I just, I don't get it. And um, with John, it was more... That this was a harder one, man, because it, everything I've ever made fun of people doing <laughs> in the doing. last twenty years, I'm fucking doing it, <laughs> and it's like on, it's like a plank. It's like the every time I've seen somebody do a plank, I've just wanted to walk up and boot kick them in the side. <laughs> My whole life, and um, it's like just do a fucking hanging leg raise already, <laughs> and um. But by going through it and doing it and actually learning that, you know, I just thought you sat there and held the fucking thing. I didn't know you're supposed to pull your toes and elbows together. And I do that. I'm like, holy shit. It's fucking hard, this is man. Fucking up. This is hard as fuck. Then it's Sweet. like, now I'm telling the lifters I work with, you need to do planks. They're like, what the fuck <laughs> happened to you? Just lay on the floor. And um, so it's been humbling because I don't, yeah. and I still don't know how much I really believe in a single leg and a lot of that other kind of shit. But, if somebody's going to help me, I'm going to do what they're telling me to do. But I have control over the max effort and the dynamic work okay. as far as the strength component goes. So I still get my fix with that. Yeah. And um, it's, it's been going well. You know, it's, my cardiovascular needs to get better, but that's, yep. that's on me, you know, because I, I fucking hate it and I just need to <laughs> do it. Dave, outside of your training, um, you know, obviously a, a quote that, that I've heard you speak about before, but, you know, it, it goes, you know, obviously you said it, but the biggest mistake that you ever made in your life was not fitting your family into everything that you do. Like, you know, obviously now um, I know families become a huge part of your life. And, you know, what does your daily uh, schedule look like? And how have you um, been able to be the CEO of Elite? and been able to cross over for where you're still training quite a bit, but obviously you could see that, you know, family and friends and leading your team is, is definitely at the forefront of your, of your mind as well. When, when I started the company to, to circle back to the beginning here a little bit, the, the, one of the most important things to me was time. All right. And I don't care how much I have to work. That, that doesn't bother me a bit. You know, I work a lot. But where I work makes a big difference to me. So when I was stuck in the club, and I, I, I don't want to say that. When I was training in the club, because I wasn't stuck there. It was my choice, and I enjoyed it. Um, I, was, I had to stay in that location to, to make money. I had to stay in that location to build the, you know, the, the program. For, and, I, and I did not want to do that with whatever venture I was to move forward in. I wanted, this is not a slam on anybody in any way. I'm not the person that's going to sit there and say quality time is more important. I'm the person that when it's your family, it's not about quality time, it's quantity time. 
fuck the quality time because I have a kid that's autistic. I can have quality time with him for an hour, but if he's not going to speak, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm there from four o'clock, you know, until eight every day and I'm working from home and then he wants to have a conversation at six, I'm there. Yeah. I'm not there for that one thing or I'm not there for that one vacation. I'm there every fucking day. You know, I'm driving them to and from wherever they need to go so I can hear the conversations that happen in the back seat. You know, I want to be a part of their life. And there's no doubt that this is hurt the growth of the company because mm-hmm. my wife feels the same way. You know, it's because I spend a lot of time working from home. You know, so there's not been a day that I haven't been home for when he gets off the bus or gets dropped off around 4, 4.30. That's awesome, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, so, that's fan- it's still great that, that you've been able to have the success you've had with, and still keeping that, you know, moral grounding. But there's still, I mean, I, what people misunderstand when I say this is they, they, they think that the work isn't going on. You know, it's when you own a company, and I, I think you actually have to own the company before you really get this. You, you never not work. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you can try to go somewhere. And if there's fucking Wi-Fi, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. You're working. You're, I've never sent up an email message that said I was out of the office or on vacation. Right. No. Never. Unless I'm on a cruise ship and then there's no Wi-Fi, but now they have Wi-Fi, so I'm paying for it. <laughs> because it's, it's much easier to take the 10 seconds to answer the fucking you know, the email than it is to let it all pile up and let things fall oh, to the wayside. brutal. I know. I know. It's tough to disconnect. My wife, I get yelled at. My wife yells at me all the time. Put your fucking phone down. Yeah, I'm like, I can't. Yeah. I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you can, I mean, it can be managed. It can definitely be managed. Man, it all depends on what's going on. You yeah. know, if we're doing this site migration kicks off, there's going to be bugs out the ass. I already know. Of course. The adversity, when you're going through an adversity phase, of your business and those listening, you will have them and they will be bad and there will be ones that come after that or worse. It's just part of business. Yeah. You have to be very on your toes and very responsive, you know, to be able to, to deal with the situations. But at the same time, you need to be able to turn them off, you know, and not overstress about it because you'll start telling yourself a lot of false narratives, you know, like this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. How the fuck do you know? You don't know. You know, stop, you know, refocus, execute. That's kind of what I say in my mind. Absolutely. You know, with stuff like that. And because so, um, it does, you know. So, go ahead. That's awesome. Dave, so I got I got two more big questions for you. So if you could go back, do it all again, what would you do differently? If anything. Um, I don't, I have regrets. There's, there's no doubt about that. I hate people that say no regrets because they're fucking liars. <laughs> um, I would have treated my wife better when I was competing. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been as big of a selfish asshole as I was. Cause it, I almost lost everything because of that. Um, that was a big one. Um, I would have learned to listen to my employees sooner and be able to 
differentiate between what is a legitimate problem and what is, you know, an ego-based selfish problem, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, not every complaint has to be dealt with. You know, not every complaint is in line with the vision of the company, you know. So usually when those things start coming, you know, you need to get rid of the person. But there are complaints that in people that need to be treated differently. You know, they're, they're motivated differently. Some people are motivated, you know, by feeling significant. Other people are motivated by feeling secure in their in their position in their job. Other people are motivated by big tasks and challenges, you know. So basically, uncertainties is where they get motivated. Um, some people are motivated by growth. You know, they want to see the company or they want to see their position grow. You know, I would have learned how to try to dial into those uh, a little bit sooner. You know, and I think if I would have done that, I would have had. I would have more, you know, 10-year employees than I do now. Um, So a lot of it is, you know, the last one was for a large part of the business time, probably about 10 years ago. My ego was too big. You know, I thought it was all about me, Mm -hmm. and it's not. You know, it's the people that represent the brand. You know, it's just, I'm just the dude that just happened to be able to put pieces of the puzzle together. You know, they're, they're the pieces of the puzzle. They're the one that tell the story. They're the one that, you know, are on the picture. You know, it's, I'm, they deserve all the credit. You know, I deserve, you know, anything that goes wrong, that's my responsibility. You know, and that was, yeah. that was a lesson that was kind of learned the hard way is, you know, when you own a business, you, you own no credit, but you own all responsibility. And um, I truly believe that. That's a great, that's, that's an absolutely great quote for sure. So Dave, last question I have for you. Um, you know, what would you recommend for, you know, young people, you know, anyone in the industry trying to turn their passion into a real profession like you have, you know, what would you recommend to, to anyone that's trying to, you know, do what you did in a sense, whether, you know, maybe in a different platform, it might not be selling products, but, you know, creating a company, owning a gym, you know, starting a fitness brand, whatever, but do you have any advice for anyone coming up that you would recommend? Yeah. Um, don't let anybody tell you that you can't, you know, it's, I mean, it's, I don't want to go into a motivational kick. People get enough of that shit on Instagram, <laughs> but, you know, but at the same time, take responsibility for your can, you know, so you're going to sit there and say that you can do this, you can do this and you can do that, but you're not taking any responsibility to be able to build a skill set or to build the tools to be able to do it. And to go along with that, take marketing out of your repertoire and stick it in your fucking back pocket when you start the business. And I know people are going to be like, Oh, you know, all this bullshit, but Marketing is just one component of, of running a business, man. There's there's leadership, there's branding, there's finance, there's management, there's delivery, sales. You know, there's all these other things that have to be mastered because you can have the greatest marketing in the world or marketing mix in the world, but if you can't deliver, it's it's for nil. 
Sure. You know, it's, it's actually worse than today's world because if your marketing is really good and then your delivery sucks, now you got more people telling more people online how bad you suck. <laughs> you know, so that's where it takes the time to build the delivery, to build the product, to build the knowledge, you know, to be able to actually run a business. I'm not saying you have to get an MBA. Sure. But I am saying it might be a good idea to pick up college textbooks on yep. accounting, finance, marketing, management, you know, supply chain, you know, product fulfillment, delivery. Everybody's got delivery. You know, you got to deliver your service. Sure. You know, we got products and services. And so you got, and each one of those has to have a different process. And I don't want to sound too system driven because I don't want to scare people off, but it is a lot of work. Absolutely. And yeah. they need to understand that. You know, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of people that have been around for a long time, like yourself, that kind of learned the hard way. You learn it through hard knocks. Yeah, if we could go back and do it all over again, we could probably do or, you know, get to where we were in half the time period. But the reality is we, we, we can't do that. We can only move forward. You know, but if we're really going to learn from our mistakes for those people that have had a business for a while, if we're really going to learn from our regrets, our mistakes, and everything else to be able to go forward, then what are you doing today to make your skill set better tomorrow? Because that's where I see a lot of employees fuck up. You know, so if the employees are fucking up from it, then so are the fuck, so are the owners. True. And that is, let's say I hire a, uh, I hire somebody to do social media marketing. I'll just put that out there. So I have them for social media marketing and I bring them in and they want $50,000 a year. So that's what they're doing. And then each year they, they get a raise, you know, cost of living increase, whatever it's going to be. Now say six years from now, the guy or girl is making $70,000. Has their skill set increased by 20% more? You know, more than likely, no, because all they're doing is their job. You know, they're not going home and increasing their skill set when they're at home. So, what happens after five years is the owners or the leadership team and the management starts looking at the employees and starts realizing, holy shit, we're paying this fucker 70 grand. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I can hire this kid just out of college with one year work experience for 30 grand who's already up on what's going on today. Sure. So that employee or that trainer can be replaced with somebody with a higher skill set than what they have because they haven't kept theirs up at half the price that they were brought in at. That's great advice. Now, if they're in if they're in, if they're keeping up with their skill set, the trainer in the club, say one of your trainers, mm -hmm. you're gonna do you a favor here. Listen to this. <laughs> so you got one of your trainers. I don't know how they're paid. I don't know how they're compensated. I don't even give a fuck. But more than likely, they're all under the realization that they're not going to be training athletes for the rest of their life. At some point in time, they either want to manage your third location or take some type of higher position as a head trainer or whatever it's going to be. So what are they doing now to increase their skill set from a communication standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a management standpoint? So 
So when you get to that position where you're like, okay, we're actually considering open a third location, who do we have on the floor that might be good to be the head trainer there? You know immediately. It should, if, if that fucking guy on the floor is doing his job and doing his due diligence, you won't even have to throw two or three names out. You're going to say, Cindy, right here. She knows her shit, you know, and that's because she's doing that extra. And by doing that extra and keeping her skill set solid and strong, she ends up being, you know, in a much higher position three years from now. And it's not because of favoritism or because you like them. It's because she worked her ass off when nobody was looking. You know, that's the thing is everybody wants to work hard. Everybody wants to be, you know, um, seen doing great things or doing hard work things. But no, that doesn't matter. You know, the work you do when nobody's looking, that's what matters. That's what matters the most and is going to make the biggest difference for everybody. Dave, that's yeah. fantastic that's advice. Awesome advice. I, 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 I'm going to go downstairs and give everybody the stink eye and reevaluate the entire crew. <laughs> 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 that's it. What are you doing to improve your skill set? I'm going to go ask everybody. That's Not it. today. <laughs> Not tomorrow. today. <laughs> Not today. So... Dave, that's really fantastic. I really, really, really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. I know you're super busy. I think you gave a tremendous amount of insight into, you know, what it took to become successful in your industry and, you know, what the, let's call it the the core mission of Elite FTS is. Uh, This was awesome for me. Like I said, Dan and I have been huge fans for well over a decade. You guys are one of the absolute best at what you do. Uh, Your content is second to none. And I'm excited. I'm excited to continue to watch the uh, fixing Dave Tate project and see how that works out yeah, for you. For sure. And uh, you know, uh, I can't say enough about you. And thanks again, Thank man. You I really, so much, really Dave. appreciate it. And uh, everybody, hey, this was I awesome. appreciate the business. <laughs> I, I appreciate the business and support from you guys. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Without so much. that, we wouldn't be around. That's great. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you all like it. Dave Tate, everyone. Thanks again. The business of strength powered by Varsity House Gym. Turn your passion into your profession and learn how to run a world-class business. Be sure to visit us at www.strengthentrepreneurs.com to learn more. And as always, at varsityhousegym.com. Become unstoppable.